Then I wanted to say a little something about the, the time, the schedule in a way. So you have some period of uh, walking and sitting, and at the same time, you have some period where, of course, you have some work, but also you have some free time, after breakfast, after lunch, after dinner. And I had a friend, when he taught retreats, he did not give free time, because he was like... But personally, I think it's very important to have that free time on a retreat, and then to listen with awareness to what do I need to do now? Not, I think it's to, to see the difference between listening with awareness and worrying about the choice we have. Should I sit? Should I walk? Should I do this? Should I do that? It's not about the right thing to do. But it's just more about back to having confidence in this attention, this awareness we develop it. And so if you feel tired, then it's a good opportunity to go and lie down on your bed or outside if it's warm enough. If you just want to sit in the lounge and gaze outside, that's also fine. If you feel your energy is a little kind of tempered in some way, blocked in some way, then who knows, you might want to go for a run or you might want to go for a good walk, but please don't get lost and don't sleep on the on the mat, so be careful when you walk. But just, you know, to that's what these time are for. They're not, it's just for you to kind of more listening with awareness and, not, and moving from what is the right thing to do to more, oh, just what, what's awareness? What's, what's the feel in my body? Am I tired? Do I need to be outside, to wake myself up? Do I need to use my energy? So it's just for you to find that. That, I think, is also part of the practice on a retreat. Then I wanted uh, to say a little something, which I think is very important. When we come on a retreat, we come not because we have nothing better to do. We generally come because we have an intention, we have an aspiration about wisdom or compassion or peace and clarity, whatever inspires us. And I think to, be, to see the difference it has in us between aspiring to something and expecting something. When you aspire to something, it gives you energy to move towards something. And in a way, that's what helps us when we do the meditation. But if you expect something, I must be calm now, I must be like that now, then actually it fix and limit you. And so I think often what happens on a retreat or in daily life too, we move from aspiring, which gives us energy, to expecting, which is, why is it not like this? Or why is it not more like this? 
So just to see the, the movement from one to the other. And within that, you also have cultivation and effect. That often, when we practice a meditation, it's really about cultivation. It's really about cultivating the concentration, the focusing, the anchoring. It's about looking deeply, questioning, being in the experience. That's a cultivation. And the effect, in a way, will take care of themselves. To me, that's what really kind of, in a way, convinced me when I started to meditate in Korea. Because first I thought, oh, this would be a good idea. But I did not know if it was a good idea which would work or not. I was 22, I had barely done meditation. It was very abstract. But then I did it. And then two things happened, which really showed me, oh yeah, something is happening. But it did not mean that it was happening all the time. But some indication showed me, oh yeah, I really kind of start to see the other for themselves. Or I can really start to see what is going on in my mind. But it doesn't mean that the effect was there all the time. But I could see over time the effect of the meditation. So to me, of course, we don't do meditation, again, because we have nothing better to do, but because I presume generally you find it helpful. I hope so. But it doesn't mean every minute is going to be helpful in the way I want it to be helpful. That I think we have to, we have to in a way, see the place for cultivation, which is just that we try to cultivate to the best of our ability at any given time. So sometimes it might mean just trying try not to fall totally asleep on the, and snoring in meditation. This will be the best you can do. And all the time it will mean you're really right there and it, you are so there in the cultivation and, it, and all in between. So to see we are not trying to have the effect of the same meditation state. It's actually what we're trying to cultivate is more the attitude of trying to anchor to some degree, trying to question to some degree, but the degree will depend on the condition, will depend on the energy. So being careful of when we move to cultivation, which is a doing of it, and then we move to the watching of it. Is this working right now? It might or it might not. And it might at some time, it might not at other time. And then I wanted to introduce the, this technique of meditation that we learned in Korea. And I presume you are on this retreat because you're interested in it. Because you're going to hear a lot about it. But this doesn't mean that this is the only method and it's the best one for everybody in this room. This is very important. We're going to suggest this questioning. For some people it will work, for some people possibly less so, and some people might kind of, why, why should I be doing this? You're really not obliged to. You can do 
just being aware of the breath, you can just do just sitting still, etc. And we'll also introduce listening meditation at some point. But let's try, let's go with the questioning. So, when I was in Korea, and I was so sitting 10 hours a day for three months at a time, twice a year, and the only thing I was doing was just sitting in meditation, asking, what is this? What is this? And so you can do it if you are Italian, German, Swedish, in your own language. Italian, che cos'è questo? French, qu'est-ce que c'est? So you don't have to say it in English with a French accent. <laughs> so, so you have this, what is this? And I think what is very important <coughs> and useful about this practice, if it suits you, is that it really combines the two elements I talked about yesterday, samatha and vipassana. So this question is not a mantra. We're not sitting there, what is it, what is it, what is it? I mean, it's not sacred, it doesn't have any reverberating effect of uh, that nature. But it is an anchor. And you will notice the same as with the breath. If you come back to the question, what is this? You come back to the whole moment. You come back to sitting here, you come back to the rooks, you come back to everything in this moment. So it has the same anchoring device. And it's the same, you know, you go away a bit and you come back to what is this. You go away a bit, you come back to what is it. So it has the same anchoring device as would the breath or I would be awareness of the body or whatever, any other anchoring device. So at that level it will help us going back to what is this? What is this? To just sitting here, to just developing what I talked about yesterday, the stability, and a little more spaciousness, because in the same way, you're not going to feed the habit, and they can come back to the creative function. But with it, together, you have vipassana. You have the experiential inquiry, but it's done in a very different way. When you do it in terms of mindfulness practice, you go into the changing nature of things. And this will make you experience that, but as an effect. The practice itself is just to question, what is this? So what is the most important part of the phrase, what is this, is actually the question mark. We're trying to become a question mark. And the word, what is this, are used because they are fairly neutral. And, and really, to me, the way it works is the fact that generally we have a tendency to fix, to comment, to describe, to find meaning. And here it's really challenging that. I'm not saying all these things are not useful, but if we do it too much, the fixing, the commenting, the describing, then actually it removes us from the experience. 
It also takes us quite a lot in abstraction. When you hear the what is this, it's really actually cultivating, questioning, without waiting, wanting, expecting an answer. So this is not an answering practice. This is a questioning practice. And in the Korean tradition, they put emphasis on actually developing a sensation of questioning. So it's nearly like a bodily sensation of questioning. So it's like you question with the whole body and mind. And so, of course, what they say is to be very careful not to ask a question with the head. So you don't spend your time like I did at the beginning, I was doing this in Korea. What is this? What is this? What is it? What is it? This is really not recommended. Because often this will give you headache, give you tension. So the question is, how can I question what is it without it becoming like intellectual, without it becoming tense, I must know, I must know, I must know, and at the same time keeping that questioning sensation, that questioning <coughs> feeling. And often what they suggest is to bring the question down into the belly, so to feel it more from the base of the body and not trying to really not keeping it in the head. So when we ask the question, what is this? We really, it's not psychological or analytical or philosophical or existential. So possibly tomorrow, Stephen might present it existentially, but <laughs> we have a slight different slant here. And then it's for you to see, you know, do you, me, I am more pragmatic, and he might be more philosophical and existential. So you have to see. With that, you can make, you know, how can I approach this question? But to see the question is really in order, again, to cultivate the samatha and the vipassana. This is really what this is about. And so by cultivating these two things together, what is it? What is it? Then we develop, like with any other meditation, creative awareness that then we can use in our daily life. So this is what we're trying to do when we use this question. I think it's very important to see that we feel it's complementary with, for example, the mindfulness of the breath. Like in Korea, there was a teacher used to teach the question with the breath. So you would say, you breathe in, and as you breathe out, you can ask, what is this? That's one way to do it. Another way is you ask the question, what is this? And then you remain a little with the pregnant sensation of questioning, and when that goes, you come back to what is this. So you don't have to say all the time, what is this, what is this, what is this? You just try to find uh, your own rhythm, your own way with it. What is it? Wait a little bit with it, how it resonates within us, 
What is it? And so in a way, seeing it a little, like throwing the question into the moment, and then staying with the moment, in a way we don't define anything within it. I think that's what the practice is actually also about. As we have, a, again, a quick tendency to fix. And here it's kind of like, what is it? You're nearly asking about what is this whole moment? What is this me in this whole moment? This human being in this whole moment? As a whole moment, you cannot define anything in it. But it doesn't mean you cannot experience it in a clear and bright way. And I think that's what this helps us to do. But if you used to do the breath, or being aware of the body, you can actually start with the breath, and then time to time, just throw the question. So you see, you could have the breath in the foreground, and then everything else in the background, and then you could bring the question in the foreground, and then the breath would go in the background. Or you could do the question in the foreground. So what is this? What is this? And then at the same time, you could help yourself with the sounds to embed you in the experience. Or with the breath a little in the background to embed you in the experience. So in a way, what today, what I would suggest is to try to play a little with trying to see if you used to do the questioning, then you can do that if it feels very, uh, it fits you. If you're more used to do the breath, can I combine it? Or if, if you find it a little too disturbing, you can leave the question, just stay with the breath. I think it's very important to see that we, as teachers, we make suggestions. But it's for you within your condition. This is personally, I don't think, any method is 100% the best method for everybody. Personally, I've, I see that any method will be good for generally about 60% of the people. Then 40% will say, the breath, I hate it. <laughs> or loving kindness. No, no, no. I don't want loving kindness. <laughs> or the question. I mean, this is so stupid. <laughs> and fair enough. <clears throat> you see, I don't think we have to see this thing as sacred. Not, the breath is not sacred. The questioning is not sacred. They just are tools of creative awareness. So it's just for you. That's why we... We, we did this practice, Stephen and I, and we find it very useful. But at the same time, we find the practice of mindfulness, of the breath, and different things also useful. And personally, we find them complementary. So it's very much for you to see. This is a Zen retreat, so we will, of course, talk about the questioning. But questioning within a wider environment in terms of the context of the practice. Then I wanted to say just a few things about, of course, as I said before, you can sit on the floor, you can bring chairs, there are some spaces here and there. 
And there is also one thing which sometimes happens on a retreat. It's some people might breathe heavily. Not everybody does, but some people do. So the first thing would be, if you do the breath meditation, can you try not to do it heavily in terms of that it is not a yogic exercise? So we were trying to follow the natural breath. At the same time, some people might have a natural heavy breath, and we don't want them to stop breathing. <laughs> so I think we also have to accept we are different. You know, some people might have, you know, little noise in the stomach before lunch. Some people might move because they have pain. I mean, in Korea, I was uh, in Korea, the problem people have in Korea, the nuns and the monks, is that they're so used to sit on the floor that they, they always fall asleep. So you sit there, you see them, you know, they all sit like this, and then very quickly, quite a few of them, chop, <laughs> like that. And so my, my first retreat with the nuns, they, one time a nun came to me and said, but you know, you're not falling asleep. You know, time to time she would check, you know, the foreign nun, what was she up to? And I was always like that. And she said, you know, what do you do not to fall asleep? And I said, I can't fall asleep. I'm thinking too much. <laughs> So you see, I mean, you might see somebody look like they're asleep, but actually they're doing the best they can, considering energy-wise. And somebody who looks like kind of unmoving and bright actually might be kind of, you know, totally daydreaming. I used to spend my time daydreaming. When I was first in Korea sitting, I would daydream about meditating in a hermitage and enlightenment and saving everybody. So I was daydreaming about meditating until I realized this was not meditating. So I changed the subject. So just to see that you know each of us have different conditions, and so of course we're trying to be relatively harmonious, but also I think relatively accepting. Are there any questions? about the practice. Yeah. Um, this morning something arose in my own thoughts and I already tried to, as it were, apply the question to it and immediately it went into trying to answer mode and huge proliferation and I realized that wasn't the point so I came back to the breath. But somewhere I have the feeling that working at this thought with the question, what is this? It, well, it feels like something I'd like to explore more and I wondered if you had any advice or comment on that. It, just a little background, it was a thought that came up re related to some events which happened about 10 years ago, which were very, very emotionally loaded for me. And there was this thought just tucked away that came up this morning. So, uh, yes, I, I guess I'm just 
curious to see how I might engage this to unpack it. You see, there are different ways uh, to, to deal with uh, this kind of thing. One can try with the questioning, see what happens. But I think what we have to also look is when I use whatever I'm using, how much is it disturbing me? You see, how much am I going away from a st certain stability and openness? How much is it feeding a certain identity story? If it's really feeding the identity story, I would say, you know, yes, you can try to creatively engage, but if you seem to get tighter and tighter in the story, then I think it's better to come back to the breath. At the same time, sometimes there are things which are recurring, they keep coming back. Sometimes either it's a memory, sometimes it's a decision. And so sometimes it can be useful once a day. If it comes up, I would say to look at it for about 10, 15 minutes. So you give it time, and at the same time, at the end of the 15 minutes or 30 minutes, this is it for the day. I don't have to continue thinking about this. Because often we think the more I think, the more I, I will be able to sort it out or find the right way or find the right decision. But often the more we think, the more we kind of actually entangle ourselves. So sometimes it's good to think a bit, leave it. Come back to it and leave it. I think to think a little about it and then leave space, often something happens within us which can, in a way, look at it help us to look at it differently over time. Then, of course, when we sit in meditation, sometimes there is space. And then within that space, we have a really good idea. And it's kind of like an insight or understanding something or seeing something or realizing something or seeing something as if for the first time. And then we can look at it a little bit. But then when we move from looking at it creatively to starting to repeat it to thinking I must remember this I must tell my friend about it etc. Generally come back to the breath or the question. So it's for us to know I think part of the meditation process is also for us to know is it useful to think about this or not? And sometimes we can think very usefully in meditation too. And at some point, generally, it loses its energy. And then often it becomes either entertainment or it becomes a little kind of assailed by thought or sometimes it becomes different things. So for us to see that moment from creative thinking to repetitive thinking can also be useful. And sometimes the question can have the opposite effect. You throw the question and then the whole thing evaporates. So it just depends. It just depends. So I think it's also good to explore. Anything else? Yes. Do you, um, do you have a quick fix for anybody else for your name? Yawning, you mean like yawning in meditation? Yes, yeah, yeah, just having to yawn and then you can and get stronger. And 
I can stop coughing, I can stop sneezing, You see, I think yawning has many different aspects, but one of them is that one might be tired, and so if one feels sleepy, then one can yawn, and in a way one has to be, generally we stop yawning when we feel a little brighter. So then the question is, what is it that's going to help me to feel brighter? So it could be that I need to rest during the break. It could be that sometimes I need to, to move the energy up. And so what would be interesting to see that after the walking meditation, when you sit, do you feel like yawning or not? When you, come, you, know, you sit after the walking, do you feel really bright? Then you feel bright for a little bit, and then suddenly the energy goes, and then the yawning comes with it. And then it's kind of like uh, when I come to the first sitting, maybe to, to do brisk walking or going outside. It's kind of what is it that can help me to feel more energetic? But I think we're also different here. I mean, I had friends in meditation where they would sit and nearly immediately they would fall asleep. It's kind of nearly immediate. And some people, they sit and they can't fall asleep because they think too much. So I think it's kind of, yawning makes more noise, but you know, it's one deals with whatever one can. So I would say to, to, to try to see opening the eyes, straightening the back, Possibly, again, you have to see, uh, I think we have instant coffee. (laughs) 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 Or green tea, you know, it's kind of really, what is it that is going to help me keep awake? You know, because I think when we yawn, I mean, sometimes, this was one one time I was in Korea, uh, and Stephen had just been there, arrived, and his group, the meditation group decided, the monks decided to do a, a really intense practice. So that means that they only slept for four hours and then they sat for 14 hours, 12 to 14 hours. And Stephen has never done something like that. And then after two weeks, the monks, Korean monks, called me for translation. And they said, can you tell him to stop? <laughs> yawning in the morning. Because he would go like, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, he would go, "Ah, ah." and you know, they said, come on, he's so dispiriting. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, it happens to everybody, this, you know. But it's kind of like, I think it's basically, what is it that's going to help me to, to be awake and to be less it's also to see why do I yawn, you know. Uh, I think different people yawn for different reasons. So it's kind of experimenting during the retreat, I would say. Okay. Could you say very, a few words about how to, you said ask the question from your abdomen, but can you say a few words about how to get from here down to there to ask the question? So, yeah, because this is a, uh, it's kind of like, it's a little like, where do I put my attention where I ask the question? 
You see, once we had here, long ago, many years ago, we had a nun. And one of her practice was actually, it was a Thai nun, was a very strange practice. She asked you to put your attention here and to do that when you sat in meditation. And, she, and, and everybody who did the exercise, I have never done it, said it really, you suddenly felt something here you never felt before. It's like putting your attention here, kind of suddenly there was a different impression. And I think that's what it is about. It is about trying to put the, atten the attention, the anchoring in the belly in a way. So you could say you sit in meditation and you try to, it's like when you sit, we try to try to cultivate a stable and open posture. So when you sit, often what I recommend is try to have this image of a mountain. So that you're sitting and you're grounded. You're here, so you feel kind of, you know, like the, the weight of the body, but not in a negative way, as a grounding, stabilizing. And generally, if you do this, you won't feel you are up here. You will feel you're more at the base of your body. And at the same time, feeling as open as an ocean. So trying to have the body which is kind of like open. And we can know the difference in a way to feel if I kind of start and I open my shoulders and I have that openness feeling with the body instead of if I sit like this, I can feel that's not an open posture. So it's the same, I think, with the trying to put the question in the belly, it's kind of like you start the, the meditation, then you try in a way to feel your belly, you try to feel your seat, and then you try to ask the question from that point of attention. And then generally you feel like, of course, we ask the question with the, <laughs> what I would say, the whole body-mind complex. But I think it's where you put the focus of attention. In the same way that if we watch the breath, we can watch the breath at the nostril. And for some people, it works very well. And for some people, they think it's too close to the brain, in a way. It makes them heady. And then some people, they watch the breath at the abdomen. And then they feel it bring them more down. And so again, I think it's kind of how we feel in our body in this moment. So I think it's very important we could see the question as an intellectual question. And then, yes, it would really stay in the head. But here we want to really see the question nearly as a bodily question. It's kind of nearly like the body asking the question of this whole human being in this whole experience. That's what I would suggest. But then try it out. Does it work for you or not? I mean, it's like anything. Okay? So shall we do it? And so as, we, as I was saying yesterday, when we do the walking meditation, then we can, again, personally I would suggest to ask a question with the rhythm of the walking and see if that works for you. But if you prefer to be more aware of the body, of the feet, of the leg, and then just time to time, bring a little the question when you walk 
Also bring the question when you work or when you eat. Try to see how can I use this question as an anchoring device and as a questioning device. This actually, I think, is really part of the idea. And then we can use that creative questioning in daily life as well. And to me, this is one of the things about the question. I feel it helps us to become more flexible and more creative. But of course, we can become more flexible and creative also doing other practice. It's not just that one. But this is a good one, generally, for that. Okay, so shall we do a little walking first?